this evening we'll be reading from John chapter 15, uh, the first 12 verses of John 15. Let's again listen now to the reading of God's holy word. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, and is withered. And they gather them, and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Seek the Lord's blessing on this His holy word. O Lord God in heaven, we, we do praise you and thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your kindness toward us. And the challenge that we have before us, that we, you call us to bear fruit, to be grafted into the vine. And we pray, Lord, that even as we hear your word, that we will bear that fruit. And that it would bring about great and abundant uh, glory to your holy name. And so we just pray, Father, that you would be with us and that you would bless your word. And as this, we consider this particular topic this evening... We ask for your blessing in these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> One of the many images that we find throughout the scriptures that the Lord uses to challenge and encourage us, uh, His people, to a faithful living for His glory is the picture of a, of a tree or a vine or a plant which the Lord establishes and nourishes along so that it may grow and bear fruit. And so, for example, in Psalm 80, we read, uh, it's, it speaks of Israel being planted in the promised land. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root, and it filled the land. And so there it's the... Uh, Israel was a, a vine the Lord had planted and brought about great prosperity and fruit. And then the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17, says of the man who trusts in the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its root by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. So there the individual believer is uh, like a, a tree planted by the streams of water. But again, perhaps one of the more uh, familiar passages that speak of a fruitful plant in this way is, of course, what we have here in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, as Jesus declares that 
He is the vine, and the Heavenly Father is the vine dresser, and the people of God, that is, those who uh, trust in Christ, are the branches, and those branches find their nourishment in the vine, and they grow, and they're expected to bear fruit. But Jesus warns that those branches that don't bear fruit will indeed be cut off and tossed in the fire. And of course, that's a picture of, of the one who may be a member of the outward visible church, but has no true faith in Christ. But of the true believer, the fruitful branch, uh, Jesus reminds that the Heavenly Father may occasionally prune the branch, and allow, which means basically that uh, he will allow times of suffering and affliction. But of course, the intended purpose of that pruning is that the branch might bear even more fruit to the glory of God. But there's two things that are worth noting here. First, as Jesus makes clear in verses 4 and 5, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And so the only way that we, as the branches, can bear fruit is by being firmly grafted into the vine, that is, into Jesus. Jesus, through the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, provides the strength that we need to bear the fruit that he calls us to bear. Well, the second thing that we note, which gets to our topic this evening, is that Jesus ties fruit-bearing to obedience. He says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciple. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. And then in verse 12 he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And so bearing fruit means that we obey God's commands. And of course the greatest commands is uh, the, the greatest fruit that we can bear is, is love for God and of course love for one another. Now certainly there are other commands that the Lord has called us to obey. Think about the Ten Commandments. But when we fulfill these commands, again, we're bearing fruit to the glory of God. And in fulfilling these commands, we're also doing the good work that the Lord himself has set before us to do. In other words, fruit-bearing means that we're doing good works. And again, the greatest good work that we can do is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so this then also reveals something else as we now consider chapter 16 of the Westminster Confession on, on good works. <clears throat> and that is this, that since God is the Lord, the sovereign king and lawgiver, well, he alone is the one who defines for us what good works are. God is the one who gives us the commands that we're to obey, showing that we're engrafted into the true vine, into the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we need to remember that there's a difference between what good works are from maybe a human perspective and what good works are from a divine perspective. From a human perspective, good works are those things which are done, which typically benefit the broader good of humanity. Many people... Uh, believers and unbelievers alike diligently perform good works 
sometimes we might describe these as humanitarian efforts. And this is good and right to do. There should be a, uh, a way that we are, are doing good and, and seeking to serve others uh, uh, and our fellow mankind. However, these efforts, if they're done sincerely, or if they're not done sincerely, they're not necessarily the same as what the Bible uh, refers to as good work. So just because we're doing nice things for people doesn't mean that God sees that as good works, at least from a biblical perspective. No, because biblically, good works are defined by God and by God alone. The Confession says good works are only such as God has commanded in His Holy Word and not such as without the warrant thereof are devised by men out of blind zeal or upon any pretense of good intention. And so here we see first that God has defined good works in His Word and indeed He has clearly shown us these The prophet Malachi affirms this, that he has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so there are the, what God has defined. And second, uh, doing something that man determines is good, or doing something for a good purpose that God hasn't commanded, again, even if the intentions are honorable, well, they are not good works in God's sight. Paul says in Romans 10, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. There's a sense where they're seeking to serve, but they don't have knowledge to know what to do and how to do it according to what God has commanded. And of course, in a great example of this unwarranted zeal, even for good intentions, would be Uzzah. Uh, Uzzah, who was the, uh, the Levite, he tried to stop the Ark of the Covenant from falling off the cart into the mud in, in 2 Samuel 6. But because the people were negligent to, to carry the Ark as God had commanded, it was supposed to be carried on the, the shoulders of the Levites, well, this otherwise good work, I mean, it would be a good thing, to you would think, to prevent the Ark of God from falling, getting into the mud. Well, it was good work in the eyes of men, but it was met with the wrath and curse of God. And Uzzah was struck dead because he dared to touch the ark of God. And so again, what we think might be a good work, God uh, may not think so. So God himself is the one who determines what good works are. And the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments, of course, gives us guidelines, clear guidelines, as to what is good in God's sight. Well, the Confession goes on to note many benefits Uh, to doing the good works which God has defined for us. They are, for example, one of the benefits is the fruits and evidence of a true and lively faith. And again, as we'll see, good works do not merit our salvation, but they do give evidence that we're saved. And when we do them in obedience to what God has commanded, we give that evidence. And uh, James chapter 2, verse 18, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And so we're called to bear fruit and to bear much of it. And when we do that, we give evidence of our faith in Christ. Well, secondly, another benefit is <clears throat> by doing good works, believers manifest their thankfulness and strengthen their assurance. 
And so by doing these good works and obeying God's commands, we show our love and gratitude to God for all that he's done for us in Jesus Christ. And in fact, Jesus himself in, in John fifteen twelve makes this most clear that if we love him, we will obey him. But there's a great benefit to us in doing these good works. It further affirms, affirms and encourages our assurance of faith and, and then again it reveals that to others as well as to ourselves. And it reveals that we truly are a part of that fruit-bearing vine. And so John encourages his readers of this truth in 1 John 1 or 2, verses 3 and 4. He says, Now by this we know <clears throat> that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. And so we give, uh, confirm, it's a way to assure, our faith, assure us of our faith. With thirdly, good works, <clears throat> another benefit is that they work to edify the brethren. Jesus says in Matthew 5, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So one of the great ways that we can serve and bless others is by doing good works which benefit them all in the name of demonstrating our love for them in Christ. And we can do that to be an encouragement to them when we do good works for the benefit of our brothers and sisters. And we can also do it as a way to appoint them to the Lord if they are unbelievers. <clears throat> oh, fourthly, another benefit, good works adorn the profession of the gospel. And in uh, Titus 2, when Paul is giving uh, various uh, instructions to uh, various members of the household, the, the, the older women and the younger women, and the, the husbands and the men and the young men uh, and the uh, servants and the masters, and he's uh, encouraging, encouraging them all to be doing these good works. And he ends that by saying, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. And so, by faithfully doing the good works the Lord has called us to do, we bear witness to the truth of the gospel, again, to a watching world. But they not only bear witness, as we see, again, another benefit, that good works also will work to stop the mouths of the adversaries. That is, though they reject the witness, the faithful good works of the Christian further condemn the wicked in their foolishness. Peter says, 1 Peter 2, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may, be, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Right? So that they have no reason to complain they have no reason to protest uh, when you do good works and so their silence well then ultimately as jesus reminded us another benefit is that good works glorify god again in verse 8 john fifteen eight, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples and so, brothers and sisters, we're called then to do these good works because in doing them, we reflect the glory of God, of Christ in us. Seeking to, to be imitators of Him as we're being formed and fashioned after His perfect likeness. 
Indeed, this is the whole reason why we were created. Right? This is what Paul concludes in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 8 and 9, we're familiar with because it tells us about how we're uh, saved by grace uh, through faith, um, that it's a gift of God, not of our own works, but works have a role. And that comes in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has prepared these good works for us that we should walk in them and we're being created to do those good works because when we do those good works, it glorifies Him. Again, it's not to earn our salvation, that's by grace alone, but it gives evidence of our salvation and it shows how we can glorify God. Of course, the end result then is uh, perfection and holiness and everlasting life and that is, of course, is the is the chief goal. But as we noted before in John 15, the source of the ability to do good works isn't of ourselves. Again, because of our sinfulness before God, we, we can't do any good work. We can't keep any of His commands. Even Again, even the civic or the humanitarian good that we do is nothing but filthy rags in God's sight. And so there must be an outside influence to affect in us good works. And of course that influence is the Holy Spirit working in us by the grace of God. And we receive the Holy Spirit during regeneration and salvation. But after that initial surge, the Holy Spirit works in us continually to enable us to do that which is right and good in God's sight. And this is Paul's admonition in Philippians 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We know here that God has given a command to work out our own salvation, that is, to do good works, and to show the evidence of our salvation. But as we strive to do this, we need to acknowledge that it isn't we ourselves that motivate, but it's God who works in us. He works in us both the desire to do the good works, and He works in us and act so that we might actually do the good works. He enables us, He strengthens us to do those good works that He desires us to do. And so doing good works is, just as our salvation Doing good works is by God's grace alone. But the confession gives a caution here. We're not to grow negligent as if there were not uh, as if they were not bound to perform any uh, duty unless upon a special emotion of the Spirit, but they ought to be diligent in stirring up the grace of God that is in them. That's a quote from the confession. So basically, this means that we're not to be lazy. Right? We're not to wait around for the earth to move on our feet or for the Holy Spirit to suddenly fall upon us and uh, so that we can go and, and do something uh, great and do some good work in a, in a great and dramatic fashion. No, we're called to stir up the grace of God by desiring, even hungering, and thirsting after the good works which Christ has set before us to do. And again, we do that because we want to show our love and our gratitude to Christ and all, and all that he has done for us. In 2 Peter 1, we read this, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. 
For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So this call to duty is the thrust of our usual benediction that we have uh, typically in the morning service, right? Jude 1, verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. It is a call to not be lazy, but to pursue with all diligence the blessings that God has set forth for you. But there are great limitations to our good works. Paragraph 4 of the Confession is really written in order to combat the, the Roman Catholic belief of uh, supererogation. It's a big word. Uh, Roman Catholic dogma teaches that a person can do works above and beyond the simple call of duty, even beyond what God has required of them, and thus they become kind of superheroes of faith. And that's the sense of supererogation. Or super arrogation, I guess it would be. Right? It's a, you're doing something far beyond what's required. Um, because these superhero uh, Christians have surpassed what God required, well, they have all this extra credit for all of their good works. And what the Roman church then did was declare that all these extra credit points were to be gathered together. Uh, from all the great superhero saints over the ages, and they are deposited into this into this vast heavenly treasury, where, for just a small fee, which was called an indulgence, those who of us who are weaker and who are not so a super saints, well, we can actually now purchase the credit of the works of others. That enables us to draw closer to God and spend less time in purgatory. We can do that for ourselves, and we can even do that for our deceased loved ones. Again, this is according to uh, Roman Catholic teaching. But, of course, as you can imagine, there's no such teaching in Scripture. In fact, we have just the opposite. Indeed, no one can do more than what is required, because we can't even do what's required because of our sin. In fact, and even if we even if we we did, even if we could, Jesus says in Luke 17, so likewise you when you have done all those things which you are commanded say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done what was our duty to do. So we can't do more than we've been required to do. Again, in fact, as we just noted previously, we can't even come close to, to doing what's required without the grace of God. And even then, we can never do what is required perfectly because of that remnant of the sin nature that remains in us. Paul says in Galatians 5, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Right? So we even struggle to do the things that we know we should do. And that we desire to do because they're good things that God has called us to do. Well, this doctrine of supererogation is truly a doctrine of men and not a doctrine of God. Because we cannot do above and beyond what God has called us to do. 
Well, another <clears throat> limit to our good works is that, again, by our good works, we can't earn salvation. We can't earn pardon of sin. We can't earn God's favor. We can't even maintain our salvation by doing good works or faithfulness, as some uh, today are uh, proposing. This is because of the great disproportion. Again, this is the confession. The great disproportion that is between them and the glory to come and the infinite distance that is between us and God. See, we're sinners. We're imperfect saints at best. And so even our best and greatest works fall short of God's glory. Our works that we do are truly good because the Holy Spirit enables us to do them. But because of our sinfulness, they're still point, spoiled and, and tainted, and they don't turn God's favor toward us. So defiled are they that they, and so ineffective are they uh, for our salvation that they would not endure the coming wrath of God. Finally, there is a distinction to be made between the works of believers and the works of unbelievers. The works of believers, imperfect and ineffective as they are, are truly good works and are accepted by God as such, but only when we do them for God's glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Peter 2, 5, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's only doing those good works through Jesus Christ, that they're acceptable. If we do them on their own, they're not acceptable. But God graciously makes them acceptable by faith through Jesus Christ. The basis by which God accepts them is that He looks upon them in His Son and indeed is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere. And so it's as if God looks at our good works through the perfect lens of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 13.20, the writer says, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He makes you complete in every good work to do His will. He's working in you. It's God He's working in you to do what's pleasing in His sight. And it's all through Jesus Christ and what He has accomplished for us. And again, we don't want to miss this. That in doing those good works through Christ, well then, enables us and uh, means that there are heavenly rewards for doing the good works which God has called us to do. And Jesus reminds the disciples of this, uh, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter the joy of your Lord. And so that should truly spur us on greatly, knowing that there will be these great and abundant rewards, not that we've earned, but are given to us graciously as we have seek to glorify God by doing these good works, the very works that He has called us to do, the very works that He Himself empowers us to do. But for the unbeliever, the unbeliever is unable to do any good in God's sight. No matter how sincere, how right and good they may seem, they are nothing but filthy rags to God. If they aren't done in faith, 
if they're not done according to God's command, or if they're not done for the purpose of God's glory alone, they are indeed sinful. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So without faith we can do no good work. For not engrafted into the vine, bearing good fruit. We're not going to bear the good fruit, and whatever appearance of fruit there may be uh, will be worthless and will be tossed in the fire. But it should also be noted, though, to not do them is even more sinful and displeasing to God. Right? So God has given his law, his moral law, to all of humanity. And uh, humanity is not going to do those good works. And if they, they may try, they may do, do some, but because they don't have that faith, they're not going to be considered good works. But if they neglect them... They put themselves in, even, in, a, in an even worse situation. Again, in Matthew 25, in the same parable, Jesus says, Then he will say to them, Those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will say to them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of these, least of these, you did not do it to me. And so that's a, a stern warning given to unbelievers and false professors that even though they are striving to do good things, they are worthless and because they're not doing it with the right heart and with uh, not doing it in faith to the glory of God uh, they will be considered worthless and tossed into the fire but for those whose faith and trust is sincerely in the Lord Jesus Christ well out of our great love for God and out of our great appreciation and gratitude for all that He's done for us through Jesus Christ, well, we will obey His commands. Because He will enable us to do so. And He will give us the desire to do so. And we will do the good works that He sets before us to do. And indeed, we will bear great and abundant fruit, all to the praise of His glorious name. Let's pray. O Lord God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks to you for this reminder that we cannot accomplish any good work aside from your grace and your mercy and your strength and the working of your spirit in us. That we have to be engrafted into the vine, the true vine, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we rejoice and give thanks, O Lord, that you have secured our salvation and that you maintain our salvation and that even as you call us to do these good works, you even give us the grace and the strength and the ability and the desire to do them for your praise and your glory. And we pray, Lord, that we would be diligent to truly stir up that grace within us and that we would be active in seeking to do good to those around us, not just to benefit them, but most especially to show our love and our gratitude to you 
and to be a great witness to them of the glorious truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray, Father, that you would uh, impress these truths upon us, especially as we now prepare to go into the week that lies ahead, that you would help us to remember these truths from that we have gleaned on this day and how we've been encouraged from your word and from fellowship of the saints and that we might truly go forth and to be faithful beacons of light in this world and that our light would shine so shine before men that would be a great witness to those around us and that there are many who would ask us to give a reason for the hope that is in us and that you would draw many to yourself through that witness. So we just pray, Father, that you would be with us and bless us in these things. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.